You are now listening to For All Nerds Show, a podcast about geek and pop culture from the perspective of people of color. For All Nerds is hosted by DJ Ben Amin, Tatiana King-Jones, and Jeff J. Our show is edited and produced by DJ Ben Amin, and For All Nerds Show is a member of the Loudspeakers Network, where we always say rest in peace to our founder, Combat Jack. For All Nerds Show is powered by our listeners. Everything we do from our podcasts, live events, our website, are all independently funded. Please continue to support us through our Patreon page at patreon.com slash for all nerds. Welcome to the Fan Bros, the show where the bros are fans. What's up, y'all? You're listening to another episode of the For All Nerd Show. The voice of the urban geek, where we talk about geek culture from the perspective of people of color. And as always, it's the captain of the spaceship, your boy, DJ Ben Amin, a.k.a. Dr. Doing Too Much, a.k.a. Keep That Same Energon When You See Me, Bubba Gumption, Kevin Bacon of the Internet, sweat up Dallas Penn, amongst other things. As always, I'm here in the spaceship. Thank you all for joining us. And I'm joined by Tatiana King Jones, the Grand Duchess of Tech, also known as Toffee Baratheon, Sean Jean Luc Picard, Aaron Yeagerbaum, Princess Preach, and Jem and the Hollow Fam. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I see behind you, I might as well also say that, a.k.a. author of The World is Yours. Yes, sir. Yes, beautifully displayed on that YouTube that you should be subscribed to. Make sure you hit that subscribe button, likes, all that good stuff, comments. But before we get into too much self-promotion, let's welcome our third member. Speaking of self-promotion, I have Jeff uh-huh. J. Says, a.k.a. Miles Morassets, Brainiac, Five Racks, Kill Bill Monger, Seven of Nine Nine Problems, and The King in the North Face. Yo, this man is so freaking loud. It's amazing. Yeah. I I love the energy, though. Love the energy. Yes. Kill Bill Monger. I like that one. I like that. I like that. Very well done. Very well done there. And like we said before, this is the For All Nerd Show. And, you know, we talk about geek culture from the perspective of people of color. Thank you to everyone out there supporting. Thank you to all the new listeners, all the new subscribers, everybody out there on the Internet, on the social medias, at For All Nerds. Thank you for following, liking, you know, commenting, tweeting, all those great things y'all doing out there. We love it. We got Big, big things coming up. New York City Comic Con is going down in a couple of weeks, and you already know. I mean, we're going to talk about more of that a little later in the show. You know, we're going to get to that because this week's been crazy. I mean, you know, we got an just stupid interview coming up. (laughs) Yo, this interview is everything. The the Wreck-It Ralph news broke today. Everybody's talking about Wreck-It Ralph, but yesterday... Ralph breaks the internet specifically. Yes, Ralph breaks the internet. You know, you know, you'll you'll hear a lot more about that in a few minutes. But you know, first of all, I, I almost shed tears, folks. And I've <laughs> even seen you know stuff I can't even talk about. But that Captain Marvel trailer, bro, I was I was hype, 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 hype. When I say when that lady 
busted through the roof of that blockbuster video. I said, we are in 1993. It is Liddy. I was so excited. We all knew, number one, that this was going to be set in the 90s. But along with that comes a lot of nostalgia. And also, you get to see the younger versions of the characters that you've actually come to learn and love in the Marvel series. And you also get to see a lot of new ones. We saw what, what took me back, and I was like, okay. We saw young Coulson, young mm-hmm. Agent Coulson, looking good. I like the cut. We saw young Fury. I like it. Um, I know, uh, shout out to uh, the Blur Girl. She she actually referenced a movie, like an old movie that I know you knew about, Ben, that he had that haircut from. Oh, yeah, The Long Kister Night. Classic. There it is. Yeah. Um, I thought it was the time to kill. Yes, yeah, he definitely. deserved to die, and die. I hope he burned it out. I mean, you could go back to any 90s juice. I mean, it, you name any movie from the 90s that had black people in it, and Samuel Jackson Bro. was in that joint. I saw that. Well, cut. he had That's that hairline. Well, he had that hairline. First of all, Disney's tech in aging down people is pretty damn good, if Bro. I do say so myself. Bro. Most impressive. Most impressive. Uh, I, really, what was, what was more impressive was the fact that we're getting a freaking Captain Marvel movie in this day and age. Like, what a time to be alive. You're getting... A movie, well, you're getting a series movie where you're seeing things that you never would think would happen that you read in comic books, that you've seen in the animation. I mean, we got to see the freaking Odin Force, and now you're telling me we're going to see Captain Marvel and all her glory? Carol Danvers is just really. Be- beyond that, we're going to see the binary force, which you saw at the very end of the yes. trailer when Carol is doing her full power-up. And let me say this. I know this is like, you know, Wonder Woman was that joint. And I know women are all over the end of the hype, but please like, don't please don't pit them together. Next, please don't say Wonder Woman versus Captain Marvel. Please no, not even that. no. I would never because I want to say something else. Like Carol Danvers is that woman to me. Like I love Monica Rambeau. I grew up on her as well. But Captain Marvel and Carol Danvers is like one of the first comments I read. She had one of the most emotional issues in it. I grew up as a super fan of Rogue, and so Carol Danvers' story is in, intertwined with her. So this is a moment for me to see all this stuff on screen, to see, you know, like I said before, the binary power just in all its glory, and then to see Maria Rambeau, which we know is going to lead to Monica, and to see their sisterhood, to see the top gun shot of them walking out together. That I think that's so fire to be able to see them both in the Air Force and to see yes. women fighter pilots. I, I assume yes. that's what they're representing here. Mm-hmm. That it, I mean, for me as someone who's always loved things like that, because that's also adjacent to people like astronauts, like when you're in the Air Force and yep. things like that. And so seeing women and then also seeing Maria Rambeau reminding me of my you know, astronaut heroes, my pilot heroes that are women, black women, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Specifically, Dr. Mae Jamison. So, yep. like, th- that that threw me for a loop and just in terms of making me get hyped. But, honestly, the, the entire trailer, and that's another thing, you guys, we have to be very careful for, and I, I'll tell this, I'm really speaking to everyone listening right now, be careful about what you see in the trailer because 90% of it is lies. 90% mm-hmm. of it. If, if watching Marvel trailers have taught you anything, especially how we pointed out, we even went through and had a whole Twitter thread about it when we were talking about Infinity War. Everything you see is probably a lie. From the color of people's shirt to where they're standing in the shot to what they have on, it's a lie because they alter everything to throw you off the trail. Yep. I, I would even equate it to um, a track that's not going to be on the album. Yes. Yeah. You that's hear you hear it and you're like, yo, that's gonna be fire. When it's on the album, I can't wait to run it. Well, it's gonna be in your streaming service, but it may not be on the album. 
uh, one, one thing that I'm, I'm impressed at is just the visuals, just the visuals in general from what they showed. They, they didn't show too much. I, it didn't really hype me the way other trailers have hyped me before. But that doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it. Like, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't like I wasn't throwing my wallet at it. But I'm already mm -hmm. committed. You know what yep. I'm saying? But what I saw, I'm still processing a lot of what I saw with um, her showing the full extent of her powers. We're seeing, um, we see the scrolls. I think the scrolls are going to be the ones that are in with me. Um, she punched the old lady in the face. <laughs> which I'm, I'm assuming is a scroll. I'm hoping, and if not, then you know I'll be. You there. know it's a scroll. I, I'll be there in the movie. I'm not gonna lie. I saw it, and I and I resisted the urge to shout World Star at work, but I was I was about to shout World Star because that that's that's the energy that she was she was uh literally giving out. Um, I think one thing that's gonna be dope about this is I remember last year. Or whenever, did Wonder Woman come out? I don't even know the years anymore. Did it come out 17 or 16? 16. Hey, hey Jeff, you got a computer for me. Why don't you just Google it while you talk? All right, yeah, that's a good idea. Um, so it came out 2017. 2017. 2017, right? So I remember getting into arguments with people on, on Twitter, because why not? That's what it's there for. Got into arguments with people about the lack of promotion for Wonder Woman. Not like how the oh, first, yeah. the first, um, soup, the real first superhero movie for a woman, like the the flagship woman superhero being promoted, like th that it wasn't promoted to the extent that other movies were promoted. Just to give you an idea of how cerebral Marvel Studios is with their marketing, today I believe is the um, Air Force's birthday. Mm. I believe uh, wow. today is the Air Force's birthday. Um, game recognized and, and, uh, game. Uh, September right. 18th. Uh, the, the U.S. Air Force was um, founded in 1947. Wow. And it's going to release on International Women's Day. Yeah. yeah. So just to show you how logical, how cerebral, and how meticulous they are with the way that they promote stuff, nothing is by accident. This trailers mm -hmm. from the trailers down to the release date, nothing is by accident. So you are about, and, and this is in no means pitting women against women or whatever, just in terms of marketing campaigns, just for anybody who had an issue or, or thought Wonder Woman was promoted properly, you are, you about to see something different. You about yeah. to see something yeah. different from this. You, you already know. have. Wonder Woman was promoted very poorly, and I was one of the people at the forefront uh, complaining about that and really pointing out where the issues were. But to your point about how thoughtful and, as you say, cerebral Marvel's being in this, I mean, this is why I fucks with them so heavy when it comes to their the MCU, because it has a plan. And I love to see, even if there needs to be changes in the plan, I love to see when things are thought out, repurposed, and actually execute it. That's what you need. It's called a game plan, something that DC or WB sorely lacks when it comes to their cinematic universe. That being said, whenever when you said that, Jeff, I immediately thought about Triple H. I was like the cerebral oh, yeah. assassin. Yeah, when it comes to cerebral. when it comes to these superhero movies, Marvel is Triple H. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, it's not a game. And I mean, that's just it is the game. It is, actually, it is. <laughs> actually, yeah, it, it is. is. Right? Yeah. <laughs> the game. Yeah. It, you know. Thank you guys. We'll be here all week. We have two shows on Saturday. <laughs> Enjoy the tuna. Right, right, right. Boy, put them, 
put them boys right in a pedigree. Sorry. Yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 know, I know the rest of the fans. The rest of the fans appreciated that. So. Yeah. Drop them down. Like I, I, I got to segue into that because I used to love how the pedigree, how everybody would just bend over for it. You know? <laughs> well, he kicks, like, them, okay, he kicks them in the... In the I know. Before. He kicks them, but, you know, it's the rest. It's a like, natural the, reflex. The, Somebody kick you in the stomach, you're not going to go, oh. The, the need, ones, need, I know. You the ones who couldn't stepping. sell it. There were there were certain wrestlers who sold it, and there were some who were oh, like, yeah. "Oh, let me." You it's time it. to bend over. <laughs> no, the the Rock sells it the best because he oversells. He oversells no, everything. The Rock Stone Cold Stunner when the Rock takes a Stone Cold Stunner is a work. <laughs> the of way he art. Jumped out the ring. <laughs> Yo, um, no, that man would do a three sixty on his head. He would be break dancing like no, something he would, he would. ill. But we're getting Yo. on topic. But yes, yeah. <laughs> we're wrestling fans too, guys. But yes, yes. we're getting on topic. But yes. When it comes to the Captain Marvel movie, like I, I did see some some people saying they weren't that hype about it. That's fine. Some no, it's just the beginning. though. they're not. Is, they're not like my thing. Is, like like Jeff just said, just this the is for the Air Force. It teased. It teased. Yeah, that's what and it's also to do. it teased. Yes. And also, also like you said, this is on Air Force Day, so they showed a lot more of the you know mm-hmm. grounded Captain Marvel than they showed her really going in you know ridiculous with it. Because Kevin Feige has said over and over again that she is the most powerful character in the universe at this point. Yes. And she can push planets. Yes. I'm curious about how they're going to do Marvel, uh, Jula. Because uh, there was a quick clip of him, like a quick, yep. and then they went over. So yeah. what's that yep mean, Ben? What you got to tell me? I, I can't, I, not even that I can't tell you anything. I don't know, but there are some hints. But once again, in the trailers, you know, they do these trailers. There's a quick hint. That maybe Jude Law either isn't playing Marvel or whoever he's playing, if he is playing Marvel, turns against uh, Monarch. I mean, Carol by Carol. the end of the film. I think it's the latter because in IMDb it says he's Marvel. But Marvel likes to lie, and there is another Cree warrior True. who is, you know, who he could be playing. And so, it also depends on how they take the how they take the background because I believe she got yes. his her powers from Marvel. So she did she, get it. Yeah, she yeah, did get it from Marvel, yeah, but not directly. She never like, met him. Not yeah. idea. It was like a, it, yeah. was, it was it was it was from him, but she happened. didn't know. Right, right. He, so he wore the Nega bands, and she got powered from the Kree technology, etc. Right, et exactly. Yeah. So right. if they're gonna yada 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 around that or or MCU it up and change it up, then fine. But I, um, up is down. And especially right. when scrolls are involved, I don't trust shit. Right. One yeah. of the things that's interesting, is, and an eagle eye person saw this, that there is a frame that they paused where you see Carol, she's looking off in the distance somewhere, and maybe about chest height, maybe even a little bit lower, you see what looks appears to be like afro, like <laughs> a kid size, a kid size person with an, with afro curly hair. Yep. So they were like, "Is that Monica?" Well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, oh, more to come, more to what? come, folks, more more to come. Ben That's... knows so much, and you guys have no idea. And I just got to be quiet. You know, Disney's lawyers are vicious, folks. All right, speaking of Disney and being vicious, you know, just putting the hammer down, breaking news, right before we hopped in the spaceship, they announced that on their new streaming service, they are dropping a Loki and a Scarlet Witch series. Not, not. Loki and the Scarlet Witch. Right, because I was like, that combination seems weird. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a little off. I mean, if, if they were going hard on the magical aspect of, you know, the MCU, that would work out. But no, two separate series starring Tom Hiddleston and... Elizabeth yeah. Olsen. So now Elizabeth I am Olsen. one trillion percent here for a Loki limited series. I'm with it. I, I love him. He's a Disney prince. Awesome. Not 
not so much for now. Here's the thing: I like Scarlet Witch as a character. Mm-hmm. I like that she's getting better in the films, but yep. I'm not exactly checking for it. But then again, it's just her. It's not her and Vision. So I think I could stomach it. Mm. Ooh, yeah. Because they, they I, I can't. I, I I cannot stomach the Vision Elizabeth Olsen relationship on screen. Like I don't. I I see no chemistry that that. I don't feel it. Like I told, I've been saying this for know, since last year, since before. Every time I seen them on screen, I'm like, for what? Like, who cares? Go and die. Let's move on. It, I, as someone who like that was one of my favorite relationships when I was growing up as a kid. In the comics. It, yeah. No. Not it, on I mean, yeah. On screen, it has not been working. No. No. So, so. I. So it's not. A, it's not a Vision Scarlet Witch thing. Cool. However. Um, We'll see what happens with this. You know, like I said, I'm not exactly checking for it, but I'm not downing it either. Let's see what happens. But I am one trillion percent here for Tom Hiddleston-led limited series on Loki. Yeah, I think it's Marvel taking their their heat check and and building building more towards the the cinematic universe and building content for the for their streaming service, which is completely smart. I I, I personally don't mind Vision and Scarlet Witch on screen. Uh, I'd I'd love to see what they what they do with her. Um, it's it's real intriguing to think what they could do and who they can introduce. And part of that report was that they may introduce people who haven't been seen on screen yet. So you may get a situation where first appearances in the MCU would be on the streaming service, and then they would end up in the movies. So that could even create a a, sure. a more um, diversified entry point into the MCU for actors who are playing certain roles and and even thinking forward don't know what's going to happen with Marvel TV and Netflix and all of that but if there's Whoa. ever like a rights thing that reverts or something like that then you know that opens the door even more for them to be on the streaming service and and do whatever it is that they want to do I, if I was Netflix I'm not giving them up but um <laughs> but uh yeah. you, I could say anything else going forward I don't think any other Marvel characters are going to Netflix. Mm-mm. Highly doubtful, or probably not even like ABC Freeform. Or well, any no, of those th- they've said already it's it's a wrap when it comes to putting yeah. at least as far as this this Disney streaming service is concerned, nothing else is going to Netflix. And in fact, they I don't know if they're even gonna pull anything like like they're not gonna after a certain point. I forgot the year, but I, I believe I don't want to say late 2019, but. At some point, they're going to just stop developing with Netflix. And they said that they purposely, they're going to forgo the profit that they can make because they want to keep stuff in-house. I mean, on top of this news, I mean, you guys already know this, they're developing a Star Wars series. They're developing Mm -hmm. a show based on High School Musical. They're developing that Lady in the Tramp film. They're doing that Dumbo film. I mean, there's, and and like I said, all this stuff is going to be accessible on the the new Disney platform. And to your point, Jeff, this as if, this is going to work out the way they say it's going to work out, the way they, they're gunning for this to work out, the way they're planning for this to work out. This would be an exceptional way to introduce new characters. Right. Mm-hmm. And even on top of that, they own Disney owns Freeform. So if they wanted to move Cloak and Dagger to the streaming service, they could. I, I, don't, I don't know if they would, though, because for what Cloak and Dagger offers for that, that yep. fan base, or maybe it's a situation where... Since they own all the content and they own the channels, you can get you can stream it on Freeform, you mm-hmm. can and you can stream it on their service. Yep, just yeah, to put easily. it all in one place. And they want to build up Freeform as well, so they're right. going to keep certain things just on there, it. like you said, that because it'll know, be the, that one. They can they yeah. have Grownish and all their other uh, young adult stuff. 
Yep, and then they can have that, and then they can just have crossovers, whatever they want. Right. So this is definitely a big move. The only part that I don't like is out of all the deaths in Infinity War, I thought that Tom Hiddleston's was the one that I was hoping to stick the most. Really? Because Yeah, not that I don't love him as Loki. That's, that's not the point of it. I just feel like his character arc. Now, there's other things you can do with him, but I feel like his arc from the MCU is one of the few that really was finished. And also his moment at the end when he, you know, before he dies, when he says, I'm Odin's son, you know, mm-hmm. and he just recites everything. Prince of the uh, Jordan name. Mm-hmm. Like, well, how do you know? He owns his, and it's like throughout the movies, you know, he's been on this path and he finally comes to the path of. Right. But for all then, you know, this uh, could be his lead up to being that who the Loki is. With. So, so which is all the previous stuff that's happened in between the yes. movies. So it it still may not mess with the timeline. And further, Marvel always has what did I say earlier? A plan. Plan. So yeah. I feel like they are not going to necessarily disrupt the current timeline. At least not until Infinity War Two. They're not going to necessarily disrupt that. So people are dead now. They're going to remain dead. It's just they're going to use that story from a different aspect of their life. And they mm. still have the cheat code of bringing everybody back with the guard. Right. Yep. So right. that, that I mean, can At the end of the everything. day, you got that cheat code. Yeah. Yeah. And I know some people are definitely going to come back, obviously. That, that's not the part I'm worried about. And I'm not one of the people who feel that takes away. I feel like that does. <laughs> Probably go this route. I really hope they explore the stuff that's been done with Loki in recent years, like the young Loki when he becomes a teenager again and joins the Young Avengers and all that stuff because that character is hilarious and so dope. So I hope they get to go into all of that. So, but I'm down for it. You know, sounds great to me. And you know what else sounds great is the rest of this episode. We have the one and only Pamela Ribbon in the house tonight. Lord have mercy, y'all not ready for this. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the show. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Asante, one-third of the Friend Zone, and when I am not smoking pot or playing Shinobi Striker, I am listening to For All Nerds. Tune in. right now today the internet has been broken or better yet wrecked by the news of ralph breaks the internet and we have one of the creators here tonight we have pamela ribbon one of the writers behind one of my favorite movies moana the first wreck of ralph <laughs> and you know a book we talked about a lot on this show my <laughs> boyfriend is a bear let's all welcome her to the spaceship tonight Disney would like me to make a few uh, corrections right off the bat. I was not involved with the original Wreck-It Ralph. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. All right. Well, you know. I just felt it. I felt it in the air. I need to say I am a co-writer. They can always do the intro again. No, it's fine. <laughs> it sounded great. I wish I had all those credits. I mean, you have a lot, though. You know, let's... 
let's not, you know, get it twisted here. <laughs> yeah, folks. let's be like, real. Yes. Not only are you a podcast professional, but you are also, you know, a writing professional. I am a writing professional. Yes. That's true. Yes. <laughs> that's what the, that's what the tax form says. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it does. Um <laughs> But, you know, speaking of that, you've been doing this for a minute. And like early on in your career, you wrote for the website Television Without Pity. Mm -hmm. So how did you go from writing snarky reviews to having reading snarky reviews of something you wrote? Oh, yeah, that does. That was a that did flip on me. (laughs) (laughs) Being on the other side, you're like, no. Uh, Well, I would say Television Without Pity really taught me how to be a TV writer watching that many hours of footage and having to write sometimes 24 page documents in one evening about that television episode Mm. was uh, I learned quickly what I liked and didn't like about the way an audience can be treated in a story. And so that was very helpful in um, becoming my own kind of storyteller and work, you know, learning how writers rooms works and things, and things like that, things like that. But yeah, it is different being on the other side because then you're like, well, you don't know how casting went. And <laughs> they made us say that. I didn't even write that joke. But <laughs> when you, that's when I knew I couldn't uh, be a critic anymore. When you were writing um, reviews, what were your, I guess, what were your favorite types of shows to write about? Like what really like got you going that it made it easy to write these 24 page missives on a show? My favorite kind of recap to do for television that pity was the initial concept of the guilty pleasure show where Mm. you're in love with this show, even when it's at its worst, even, you know, even like uh, I recapped a show called Young Americans, which was basically a summer long ad for (laughs) Coca-Cola, but it had had Ian Summerholder in it. And it it was just, it was a somehow a Dawson's Creek spinoff a little bit, sort of. It was horrible and i loved every second of it i love the the emphasis on the horrible <laughs> it never it never got good but it was great and that those were fun to write mm. so stepping back from that like what was your first inspiration or inkling that you wanted to just write in general not I mean not just writing you know reviews of episodes of everything but just writing in general what made you want to be a writer well, I moved around a lot growing up. I went to 13 schools all in the end. And since I was usually the new kid at an elementary school, I didn't have a lot of friends. I had a lot of alone time. And my parents always encouraged me to write stories for myself. You know, we were all a family of readers. <clears throat> my dad was an aspiring writer. And so I, you know, I was emulating him a little bit. Like he had a writer's digest and a, you know, typewriter and just that old school sitting in a room, not quite writing. Like dad did a lot of not quite writing. Right. <laughs> Um, so I was, I was doing a lot of the same stuff, but I never thought of writing back then as something I wanted to be. I thought it was something that I did much like playing with Barbie dolls. Mm-hmm. And I know that because of you, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Barbie and writing and, and the importance of words is something we, we value here at, uh, for all nerds words mean things. So as you're writing, you're learning the power of words and what they can do just for yourself, but also for how people feel. So what would you say was something you read that just changed your entire outlook? Or what writing that changed your entire outlook? Oh, uh, well, I read The Outsiders. I guess you're, you're, think, you're talking about when I was young. Anytime. Yeah, well, that, that was a book that to me 
made me realize that books didn't have to be from days of yore. They could be written or written even like in a, um, in a talking, talking down sort of way to teens, teenagers, or even, I mean, wasn't a teenager when I read the outsiders, I was probably nine or 10 when I found it. And it, to think that you could write in a style that sounded like me telling a story was a little different mm. for me. My parents gave me Stephen King when I was eight mm. and that I, I was in a weird, I was in a weird place with what is a story. <laughs> for my, like what, what is appropriate content to write? I was right. Like just really my early stuff was all ripping off Stephen King short stories for my mom. Well, and they were really gross. What was the thinking behind giving you Stephen King? Well, I was reading at a very early age and they just didn't know what to do. And one of the first books they gave me, I was like seven and they gave me Lord of the Flies. Oh, wow. That was not okay. It was not okay. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of nightmares. <laughs> they were, I don't know, because I didn't really enjoy Nancy Drew and the Bobsy Twins. That's what I mean. Like it was, here's Wuthering Heights, or this is a book about a haunted pet cemetery. <laughs> I was right at my reading level, you know, <laughs> seven, six, reading Cujo. It's again, not okay, but. Well, I mean, it's own, right? But, like maybe that was okay. It helped you inspire you. It helped you with your creativity. I learned, I forgot. Am I allowed to be dirty yes, on this podcast? Absolutely. I learned very early on what a blowjob was, a hand job. These are not things. <laughs> I'm just saying, if you're making a reading list for your children now, don't. Just don't put Pet Cemetery on there. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I read pretty early, but I don't think I was seven or eight, and it messed was, me up for life. At, I was really age. confused. Well, and in it, and in it, she gives him a hand job in a bathtub. I guess I don't. I haven't read it in a long time, but I seem to remember she gives him a hand job in the bathtub, and he says, "Where did you learn that?" And she said, "Girl Scouts." And so oh, I went and got my Girl Scout handbook. What? And I was like, I'm going to find this badge <laughs> and I'm going to earn okay, it. Okay. So this is slightly, is this how all of your interviews yes. begin? Okay. See, this is, this is slightly before my time. So when I'm reading about this stuff, <laughs> like pet cemetery and what they're talking about in this, I'm like, how are these, is this supposed to be for like teenagers? Who is this? Who's the audience for this? Well, my, as far as I knew, my parents were. So they were in their what twenties. They were in their twenties oh at the time. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the thing. They were just handing me books. They like Dean Koontz was another. My mom was like, "This is The Watchers. It's about a, a dog that's a science experiment and knows how to read." But again, it's not really. But I guess so. <laughs> it was, so that's why I'm saying like I found The Outsiders and Catcher in the Rye, and I felt like, oh, <laughs> such a relief. <laughs> just a story about some teenagers having a hard time i just because i wasn't allowed to read judy bloom because it was because it, it discussed periods and your boobs growing but wait, wait you weren't allowed wait wait okay we gotta dive into that yeah, you, wait, you were not wait. allowed to read books about puberty but about right i don't know blowjobs right? <laughs> yeah I think they thought I wouldn't know what it was. So you learn about the blowjobs first before we learn about why we're doing Yeah. Wow, wow. That's a, that's one way to do it. I mean I, I mean I actually you know, I don't blame them. Like I've had parents like I've my personally like I understand having when you're at a reading level above your peers or if you're just the type of kid that's just just plowing through these books, you're just like, okay, so 
what do we do with this child? How do we expand their vocabulary? How do we expand their thought process? It's like, oh, let's give something, you know, several grades levels above. So I don't blame them for that. No, they were just trying to keep me entertained. That's true. Yeah. I was the one who wouldn't read the Bobsy Twins. (laughs) (laughs) But that's wild to me. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. It's so crazy because I can remember like when my mom, I was trying to buy this trauma book and my mom was talking to the store owner and it was for adults. And she was like, does it have S-E-E-X in it? And I'm sitting there like, mom, (laughs) if it does, I definitely need this book now. (laughs) I'm like, what do you think level I'm reading at already? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember she, she confiscated my prints tape for purple rain because she heard about darling nikki somehow on the news (laughs) that was the end of that wow you're you're a prince fan now oh yeah no i mean i still i got another one (laughs) right (laughs) i mean never give up never give up it's not like i learned about masturbating from that prince song i learned it in a stephen king book (laughs) (laughs) a little late mom It was in Carrie, I'm sure, at some point. (laughs) Well, how does one go from that and being a journalist to writing scripts for Disney of all people? No, well, please. Oh, boy. What a segue. Well, it's quite a segue. (laughs) I wrote a lot of things for ABC and the Disney Channel in between. So that was a transition. Yes. That was a transition. I wrote some plays. I did a lot of sketch and improv comedy in Austin. I came out here trying to do that more of the same sketch and improv. And uh, it had just always been that writing was an easier way to get on stage because I could write my own material and do one person shows or two person shows. And um, and one of those things ended up going to the Aspen Comedy Festival, which led to my first TV writing gig and then my next one and my next one I was doing development and things like that you know I don't really um get to apply to become a writer for for something like Disney they they come and find you so with the in the in the case of Moana it was a um independent script independent film script that I'd written my first script actually uh that just sort of made the rounds because it has Disney's looking for people who can write heart and character and comedy and this was definitely an R-rated script about a grandmother and a granddaughter on a road trip but uh you know they really liked the characters and could tell that you know it is at its heart a story about family wow that's it so you can you can work for disney even if you're me (laughs) so it's like can you explain okay you said you went to the aspen comedy festival and you had this script but for a lot of our listeners it's always people always ask us exactly how do they get in there? Like you said, you can't really apply for it, but what are some things that you could give advice about or tell people ways? To, I mean, I know there's no one way to get in, mm-hmm. but what is something you would say to an aspiring writer? Yeah, you find you find your group of peers for sure. And you, I, I find the best way to do that is to go to film festivals, um, something like the Austin Film Festival, which is where I was a, a semifinalist early on. I'm also from Austin, so I wanted, I was already there to do that festival and then came back after I moved to LA to keep going to that festival because it's a writer's conference and you meet a lot of people who are right at the same place that you are. And you also meet producers and people a little bit above you and then, you know, legends. So you get to run this spectrum of, of different ways. And then you do get to hear 
a hundred different ways that you can make it. And so you just keep asking people or, or meeting people until you find something, until an opportunity comes up. You also have to have more than one thing written because once the script is written, it starts working that really long process. So that script that eventually got me the meeting on Moana, I had written 12 years prior and it took 12 years of getting handed from this person to that person to mm -hmm. um, make it all its way to Pixar and Disney for them to, to want to meet with me. So that, see, that's, that's not a short answer, you know, that's no, unfortunate. That's, that's actually a great answer because it keeps going into what we keep telling our listeners that lots of times everyone feels like they have to get something done at a certain time or a certain age, or if it doesn't, they're losers or whatever the case may be. But really it's all about keeping that energy and putting it out in the universe and that it's not, it's not going to happen exactly when you want it to happen or in the way you think it's going to happen. No, that your voice changes over the years, the kind of writer that I was at eight and then the kind of writer I was at 18 and 28, that I'm a different writer. And so I need new material that shows the new themes I'm thinking about and the new ways I tell a story and you get better at it. So if you only have that one script, that you just keep working on over and over again, you are really only giving yourself one shot at it. Mm. So, you, you know, you got to let that one go and then write that pilot that's in your head and then write that comic book that's in your head and write another script, another feature you, and try something that you haven't tried before. Make a short, just keep, I, for me, I find trying to find a new way to tell a story that I haven't told in a way I haven't told it before is very interesting to me, which is how I ended up doing graphic novels and comic books because I just didn't know how. And I thought, well, I'll try that. That sounds like a really neat way to combine some of the things I'd been learning at Disney and right. You know, I have a few mm -hmm. novels and I'd written some comedy sketches and stuff. And that felt like, oh, I can combine all this, what with my interest in directing and start art directing books, art directing stories, which I, I hadn't had a chance to do. Right. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested what uh, you were reading Stephen King and all sorts of things. What comics were you into? Or were you into any comics when you were a kid? No, I, I came to comic books very late, actually, in my 20s. I was going through a divorce and I was having a hard time following narrative fiction or even nonfiction, which normally, you know, I'm a book or two a week reader. And this time I just couldn't. And I ended up at um, at a comic book shop in Hollywood. And, oh, because I'd seen a Chris Ware exhibit mm. and I totally fell in love with with his work. And I went to see I went to go buy Jimmy Corrigan. And then picked up a couple of other things. And I was just able to find these sad, quiet stories and, and sit with them and be as sad as these <laughs> quiet, sad stories. And it, uh, I, I loved it. I loved how much I could feel uh, a story that didn't have words. What was the first comic you picked up? Yeah, that it was probably Jimmy Corrigan. Was it Jimmy? And I really liked Jeffrey Wright's. Uh, I'm sorry, Jeffrey Brown stuff, which was this sort of squiggly, sad stories about being bad at dating. Um, <laughs> and, um, and Adrian Tamine and things like that, that were sort of those, those, that sort of indie comic scene. I um, was easy to find where I was, that, that was what was getting recommended a lot. So that I hadn't really been someone who read uh, superhero comics or anything like that. My, my cousin was into Spider-Man, so I was aware of it but it wasn't really in my life. Okay. So now I'm seeing the sauce, a little bit of the sauce behind my boyfriend's a bear. I see. Okay. Very <laughs> good. Very good. 
Now, something else is when we first met, you told me that you don't believe in imposter syndrome. And that's something that we talk about on the show all the time and we grapple with it. Our listeners, you know, we do as hosts, everyone. And you just said straight up, you don't believe in it because you don't like to, you get told so many times no by other people that you don't want to tell yourself no. So how did you come to this realization in life? Like, that's something really powerful right there. Oh, well, I'm, I, let's see, I, you're, you are told no all the time mm -hmm. doing this. And in most of these, I would think most things that are dreams or you are pursuing what you really, really want, you're going to be told no a lot. Or even if you're trying to, especially if you're trying to be the first one in the room to do that, or the first one of you with your background or your anything that you're going to get told no, because they've never seen that before. And I just feel like, why, why play their game at yourself? You're the only one who knows the story that you can tell. You're the only one that has these experiences in your life and this voice in your head. And they don't know what, you, what you're capable of. But if you buy into their game and you tell yourself no, who's going to do it? There's, there's not some other version of you that's going to come out and do it. And I think, you know, growing up without friends a lot, like I used to people assuming things about me that weren't true. And there's a way that you can play that where you're trying to show them who you really are. And then there's another way where you can try to be who they want you to be. And there's really only one way that you end up proud of yourself at the end of that. There's only one choice where you get to be who you are in the end and then grow to become the next person. And I also think whenever I start hearing, maybe you're not supposed to do this. Maybe you're not cut out for this. This is stupid. Why are you doing this? I try to remember what it's going to feel like when I finish and what do I hope it gets me next? And if I can focus my goal a little past this place right here where I'm starting to tell myself I'm in, I'm out of my league, there's some other place that I haven't achieved yet that I don't even know those problems. I know these problems. That's why, that's why it's able, that's why I think imposter syndrome starts. You're like, well, I got this spot. So, and I'm just me. So I guess anybody can get here. I'll go work. I'll, I, I, I want to aspire to this thing I can't imagine yet because I can't talk myself out of it yet because I don't know how hard that part's going to be. It's going to be even harder than this part you're in right now. So why talk yourself out of now? Wow, that that was so real. Welcome to Pamela Ribbon's TED Talk. My God. <laughs> <laughs> what if I could tell you, you've already done what you did? <laughs> no, especially what you're saying, because I just got into the WGA last year and I've been experiencing everything you've been talking about this episode. I've been, I've experienced the, okay, I finished this uh, spec. What should I do next? Should I keep working on it? Oh, people say mm -hmm. these notes, you know, da, 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 it's not that good. Okay, I'll rewrite this instead of just going to work on something else. But even more so, I've experienced that, okay, maybe I'm not cut out to do this. And maybe I should just go work a regular, you know, quote unquote, regular job somewhere. Well, what makes you think that I'm, this is not your interview, but I'm going to ask you a personal question. What makes you think you're not cut out for it? Self-doubt. That. Yeah, self-doubt. It's something I've grappled with my whole life. I've always had this feeling, and I've always done things that aren't conventional. I've never had a nine-to-five job, especially like that. Everything mm -hmm. I've ever done has just been self-made for the most part with friends and family and, you know, whatever involved. And so because of that, I've never had 
okay, this is going to happen next. I'm going to get this paycheck, then I'm going to get this job, then I'm going to get this house, this and this. I've never had that. It's always been like, well, I love doing this, so I'm going to do this and see what happens. Yeah, that sounds like being a writer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean it. You know, I, I've never had what you're talking about either. The closest I had to it and, and coming out of college, I worked at IBM in tech support, but I did it so that I could have enough money to do the thing I wanted to do next. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as I could move to L.A., I did. Mm -hmm. And I've never had a, a quote unquote real job since because you, you I think you're supposed to try to find all of these experiences and meet all of these people so that you can have stories. If you were just in one place all the time doing the plan, then what is that story? What story are you going to have to tell? You know, and that, that doubt doesn't really go anywhere. That's different than an imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. Doubt means, oh, I'm in a place where I'm not really sure I can pull this off because I'm trying to do something I haven't done before. But imposter syndrome is saying, you know, you can do this, but like, don't. What if you don't? What if no one wants it? What if you're an idiot for thinking you can mm. do this? What if everyone's going to laugh at you? So like, I think imposter syndrome involves believing strangers and in invisible people. You're believing the words you've never heard anyone say to you <laughs> combined with the words you think they're saying when you leave the room. So this is all just it's like a like a labyrinth of bullshit that you can give yourself as an excuse to procrastinate, as an excuse to not admire your finished work. You know, I'm just like, mm, this is stupid. You know, no, this is a stupid thing I made. You don't have to read it, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's, it's all there for you to keep yourself from being the next thing, which is really scary. Because then how are you going to pull that shit off? How are you going to take a step forward? If it was, this was this hard, how hard is the next step? But it sounds like you're doing what it is we all do every day. After Moana, did you feel like you, you were the next thing? The next big thing? No. <laughs> no. What do you mean? No. What do you mean? Like, was there ever a moment in this career when I walked around like, look who's here. It's me. You're welcome, everybody. Well, it's no. That's that's yeah, yeah, you're welcome. Right. No, I didn't write that song. <laughs> <laughs> <Did that? clears throat> very, very talented people worked on that movie. And I got to watch them do it. But, you know, no, I mean, I don't think I, I don't know when or if I'll feel like I have arrived because I feel like I'm doing this thing that I do, it used to be harder to do the thing that I do because people didn't get it. I mean, I heard you guys respond to the words, my boyfriend is a bear. Did, did you listen I, to that? Because my God, mm -hmm. that shocked mm -hmm. the hell out of me. <laughs> yeah, it was a really quiet moment. And then a lot of, okay. <laughs> Just the quietest little. That's okay. me. Imagine sitting there in the studio, yeah, all, all three of us, and, and Tatiana and Jeff. Are all just three like, of us, including the okay. engineer, we're in the studio just staring at Ben. Yes. Like, what are you talking about? But I said, you know what? This is the guy I trust when it comes to comics. He knows all, and I have to give it a chance. That's why I said I'm not going to judge. I'm just going to. I'm just going to say hmm, and wait and wait until I read. I understand. I am, you know, I'm not the easiest get right away. And so these kinds of stories, you know, I uh, actually sold My Boyfriend is a Bear, the concept eight years ago at the same time that I was 
working on some other projects I was eight, trying to sell the head. Like an element of talking eight years. That's how long that one took. Um, but, you know, working in a combining kind of fantasy and comedy and female stories. I mean, eight years ago when I would pitch something that had the word feminist in it, people were like, no. <laughs> <laughs> done like they would shut down like the Chuck E. Cheese quarter ran out <laughs> I'd just be like okay keep going but you know you, a lot things like Moana uh, open doors of opportunity where people are aware oh she must be able to do something because look at this great thing a bunch of people did that she was a part of I've just been vetted elsewhere you know what I mean Right, right, right. But I'm still telling okay. my weird stories. Well, you know what? Speaking, you know, I'm going to, and like I said, I, I had some trepidation about this <laughs> book, mm -hmm. but I read the whole thing and it was a lot less weird than I thought. Like, <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> obviously that's, now, that, now that wasn't a compliment. That was just like the intro. Yeah. So obviously the title my boyfriend is a bear it's to elicit some type of response immediately and i would as you heard our response is very questionable <laughs> um but it's also to perhaps inspire some you know i i guess the creativity in in the reader because once i read it and i actually like maybe the first the first few uh the first few panels i was like wait a minute this is this is really cute and it was actually as I kept going, it came off more endearing than anything. And then I also felt a lot of the the different themes that were riding along in it. So, you know, it, it goes to show you just like how they say the cover of a book, you know, don't judge a cover, don't judge a book by its cover, don't judge a book by its title, all sorts of things. It, it, it makes me realize that, you know, maybe a lot of us come in here with, you know, maybe closed-minded attitudes more than we think. Like as open as we all say we are, maybe we're actually way more closed-minded than, than we, we make it out to be. Well, I also think this has to do with how people judge a comic book too. You mm -hmm. know, this is not one of the things I'm aware of is I'm not really presenting a comic book that people are like, I know exactly what this is. <laughs> right. And uh, this is, that sentence is what I pitched basically the two to Charlie Chu was my first editor on this book. I just said, listen, I, I think I'm dating a bear. And he said, let's okay, go on. And then I was explaining this guy I was dating sometimes, well, he eats all my good snacks, no matter where I hide them. And sometimes he takes his jacket off and to smoke a cigarette, he'll, he'll just hang that jacket on a tree branch, which I've just never seen anybody do. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just being able to think of him in this way, we were living this long distance situation. And I said, often it feels like I'm waiting for him to go hibernate. And then who knows if we'll, if we'll last. And that was the the concept of the book. And I think starting in that sort of sweet romancy place allows you to go to these real places that it's every relationship that you have at the beginning that's vulnerable and makes you wonder, is this all in my head? Is this dangerous? Is this real? What do people think? And can I hang on to it? And was it ever mine to keep um, putting it in a relationship with a bear then allows it to be everybody's kind of relationship, you know, because it doesn't have to be, well, this is for people who are like this. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. No, there, there were definitely lots of lessons. And, and, you know, obviously I saw it as uh, allegory as opposed to literally my boyfriend's a bear, even though you were very literal in it. Like the bear doesn't speak. He says yeah. guar and all sorts of other <laughs> onomatopoeias. Yeah. Uh, but 
I, you know, that actually worked for me. And like, as I, I put it down, I'm like, all right, that was cute. And then I just let it settle. But then as time went on, I kept thinking about the different things in there. Like I kept thinking about the idea of, you know, being alone and what did that really mean? Being, feeling like that you've been left behind almost. Um, and I really want people to read this book now. Like I, now I understand why Ben was so adamant about everyone reading this book because it's more than meets the eye. And wow, it really is. And, and the art, fantastic. For me, the art, like you got to get me with the art sometimes. or I'm just like, I don't know about this, but the art, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, Cat Ferris did such an amazing job. The way that Bear comes across, you know, because he doesn't speak, but you totally understand him all the time. You totally feel for him. You know when he's just like, oh, this bitch again. You know what I mean? Like he's got, it's not the easiest relationship for poor Bear. And he's trying so hard to be good for her. And uh, Kat really, she really captured LA. She came down when she first started working on the book and we went through my, like, that's my old neighborhood. That's my old apartment. Like there's a lot of my life in that book that she captured in a way that I'm, I'm forever grateful. It's, it, it's not an easy tone to hit for sure. Yeah. Please, please let Kat know that the scene when they were drinking in the, all three of them, um, Nona, oh my God, when they did, when she did the, uh, the Monet the Monet yeah, faces, little, little, the drunken Picasso, <laughs> that absurdist if, breakdown. That yeah. was not the most accurate depiction of what it means to be <laughs> Liddy, like completely <laughs> smashed. Like I was just like, yo, that's how I think when like you're talking to friends and you're just you know four or five in. That's exactly it. So and to your point, you know, even if you didn't know, if the person wants to speak English or speaking you know uh, real human words, you can still understood what was going on and you still understood the emotion behind it. So, you know, mm -hmm. I, you know, I think it was a, it's a fantastic story. Thank you so much. We're, we're really we're proud of it. And I'm, I'm, I didn't believe, I didn't believe it was ever going to happen really eight years at a certain point. You're like, well, this, no one will see this. <laughs> it's such a long time. So now, it's nice that it's out. I have a question about that. You said it took eight years, but is that just eight years for it to become adopt? I mean, adapted, or is it that eight years for it just to be made into a comic book? Um, well, I started writing the script in, um, I think 2011, we did like a year of contract stuff and then, you know, then finding an illustrator and <clears throat> writing the script and then we did have another illustrator for a little while and she dropped out after a couple of years. And so then we started over and found Kat and had to, but at that point I needed to update a lot of jokes. <laughs> she had like a wee fit, but then, uh, <laughs> But I kept all the t-shirts the same. I felt like the hipster band. Arcade Fire t-shirt. Hilarious. Yeah, that Arcade Fire t-shirt is timeless. Uh, I die laughing when I say that, yeah. by the way. <laughs> Very yeah, so that that's why it took eight years to, I mean, it takes a long time to to go from thumbnails to inks to, to coloring. And Kat colored it herself as well. Mm -hmm. So how'd you, how'd you link up and with Kat? Oni, Oni, Oni. Uh, found, yeah. They're good with that. And now it's been optioned for a film. Mm -hmm. Wow. And mm -hmm. it, How is that going to work it gonna out? Is it going to be live action <laughs> or animated? It's live action. I'm writing it right now. Wow. wow. And uh, yeah, it's gonna, I, It's so fun. <laughs> there are times when I look down at the comic and I go, hey, you see why I skipped that panel right there? That's real difficult. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard cut too. that moment. <laughs> uh, 
but it's been, uh, it's a unique challenge, but it's really fun to be able to take this and make it even, even bigger, you know? Yeah. yeah. The other thing I just wanted to mention, it's, it's something that I had initially started talking to Ben about, but I told him I'll tell him to, when I talk to you is that the other reason why we were kind of apprehensive, well, I was kind of apprehensive about this because I just realized I'm so used to like fire and murder and everything. And, it, and when I say that, I mean it in the sense of everything just being so, you know, dramatic or negative mm-hmm. or, or super action oriented. So when he told me this, I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, this is the story. But then having something that, you know, is just generally feel good like that really gave me a different perspective. So it made me sit back and think, you know what? I got to expand my horizons, you know? And and I, it's something I want to just share also with the listeners because they also have, a lot of people have the same reaction. They were like, yeah, I don't know about that, Ben. Yep. <laughs> but that's the thing. I just, I related to it instantly because I've definitely been that bear. I'm probably that bear right now. And <laughs> so I just felt it right away. And it's just like things like Moana, like, like I said at the start, is one of my favorite films because it just has this magical feeling to it. And I always tell people, I feel like we get stuff stuck on like what we loved as children. And because of that, we lose that feeling of why we, we, what made us love things as children, you know, because we're like, Oh, it's not like that. You know how it was when I was a kid, but Mm -hmm. I always try and just remember, you know, okay, what would I feel like if I was like 12 watching these Marvel films or what would I feel like I was eight watching these Disney films? And that's why I'm always like, wow, you know, look at Moana. This is, you know, I feel this is great. (laughs) There's actually something (laughs) that is something I really like about animation. When the world is handled well, you do just walk in and drop your inner child into the seat to watch the movie. Instead, you know, you, you, you give over a lot of yourself. And I, I try to remember who, what, what my inner kid felt when they felt wonder, when I felt wonder, right. That's what you're talking about. We, we felt we're protective now because we're like, no, they don't make it. They don't, you know, they're going to ruin that. They're going to do that again. Like what? nobody needs another Goonies, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh but you know, what we loved when we fell for it at the time was this feeling of, oh my gosh, what if this could happen to me? And what are these fun people that I get to meet on this adventure that I'm going on? And that story can happen again right now, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously everybody really likes Stranger Things. So you, <laughs> but it's, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't I feel, but that I, I know what you're saying and and we get protective of the things that we loved back then but then ha- letting them have a new life if the creators also remember you know I'm not that they're not trying to do their take or their spin on that feeling that you had they are bringing that same sense of uh, wonder and creation to it now am I making sense yeah, <laughs> yeah no okay. I mean, you're making sense in what you're saying to us and you're making sense in what you've actually literally done because we have Ralph Breaks the Internet coming mm-hmm. and you're you're pulling from iconic franchises. You're pulling direct from many of our childhoods and different generations, by the way. So right. uh, and I'm you know, I grew up gaming and I've pretty much been gaming my entire life. So when and I know you weren't involved in that, as you said, at the top of the show, but the first record, Ralph, that uh that really this just made me like my eyes bigger saucers. I was just like, this is incredible. They're throwing Sonic the Hedgehog in it and they're mixing it up. And then to have like, a, again, this endearing story behind it really is what helped it break the mold. So then mm-hmm. we're, we're doing this again where we have a new story coming. You have Ralph Breaks the Internet and you're, you're, you're breathing new life 
again with these iconic characters um and then with ralph itself those are becoming their own so that being said were you you talked a lot about reading and and writing all of these you know uh, uh fiction books but were you a fan of any games or any of those genres of ralph yeah we yeah we always had a gaming system like i we had was it ColecoVision? what's the one where you put the cellophane over the tv oh <laughs> and then play bong? i have no yeah. idea what you what is that i slightly <laughs> remember but i had ColecoVision. I, yeah. I, I, I remember I remember that cellophane, but I don't remember it. It's Are you like, guys serious I'm, right now? Actual I'm, physical I'm 80, I'm, Apparently, I'm 87 years old. But the, <laughs> <laughs> it was my dad's. Like, what you need to know is it was my dad's gaming system, and I was not really allowed to play it. And so that's why I have such like, ooh, I got to touch the cellophane. He would let me put the new cellophane up, and it would be a golf course or it'd be a castle. And you're just playing Pong. It might have been like, I'm sure it was just fancy Pong. And here's the thing about my parents. Whatever they bought, that thing failed. That thing failed immediately. <laughs> we had the Atari ST home computer. Oh, no. Did you have an Apple I had a Commodore. I had a Commodore VIC-20. What? Whoa. I don't know. Yeah, 64. So, so, oh, y'all, y'all bought it like when it fell off. Yeah, my dad, yeah, he he always thought, like, he didn't get a Tandy, he got the Atari ST. It was like, it was just always the wrong one. I had and that's Coleco, what I, so I feel you, because Coleco was yeah. definitely the wrong choice. Yeah, yeah. but then, when, then I got a Nintendo, you know, then nice. <laughs> I had the Sega, you know, but so I played a lot of games um, growing you? up, mostly because I most of my friends were boys, and they would like to come over and play video games. What was your what was your favorite games of that time? Man, did I play a lot of Tetris? Mm-hmm. I well, first of all, my my let me defend the Vic Twenty for a second. But those are those. <laughs> those are those. <laughs> I'm just still chipping out that you said you put cellophane on the TV. I'm like, what? But go ahead. On the Vic Twenty, you would take the cartridge and jam it into the back of the keyboard. It, and then there was another one. There was you also had a little cassette player that you'd play this these other games. That would connect to the keyboard. Oh, I, I, that, that's another one that I have. Like, a, I, I remember, but I never, I don't think I even knew anyone who had one. I look, I was no. broke. I had a ColecoVision and we didn't have a computer. So, yeah. Yeah. I can't talk anything. Wait, what was Well, again, <laughs> okay. They were my dad's. <laughs> wow. I'm... My dad, my dad had an Atari. <laughs> that was dad's missile command. <laughs> And when the thing would overheat, you know how the plug would overheat and then he'd be like, who was playing this? He'd put his hand on the thing. I know someone was playing this while I was at work. Wow. (laughs) Like the car engine, like you you snuck out with this car. Yeah. You just, I'd grab the wire and I'd swing it in a circle to try to cool it off. (laughs) So that when he came home, he would know I was playing. This is is Pamela's version of not taking the chicken out the freezer. (laughs) She's like, oh God. Wait a minute. So, okay, wait. I'm fascinated by this. So, so what was the? Okay, so we're talking about old school. System. What was the last modern system you bought? <laughs> well, what, what do we have out there? We have we have like PlayStation. You have Xbox. You have Switch. we have an Switch. Xbox. Yeah, we have an Xbox. Have an Xbox. Okay. Oh, okay. What are you playing now? Yeah. Well, I have to be careful because when I start, I never <gasps> stop. Oh my god, you right? sound like me. Just, oh my god, it's awful. I can't yeah. like. Portal took a lot of my life. Yes, <laughs> that's... like roller coaster tycoon, where I'm like, I've built this place. Everybody has malaria. I'm gonna go build this place. <laughs> Not enough bathrooms there. I'm on to the next place. 
and then I tried to play Cuphead, but that one was a little oh, too difficult. hard. It's difficult. I don't have that kind of desire to keep going. <clears throat> Most of the, like the top of my gaming was in college where I was playing a lot of like NHL games and then also like Resident Evil. People would come over to, you know, we invented Twitch. People would come over <laughs> and watch us play Resident Evil every night. I, I hope what I hope yeah. I hope you you had a time with uh, Nintendo sixty four, you know, putting some golden eye sessions in there or something. Yeah, is that where I would have played a lot of um, Mario Brothers? Yeah, is that what I had? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of Mar- one one guy in particular, he would come over every day and we would play a lot of Mario Brothers and listen to music and you know not make out. Was he related? <laughs> <laughs> You think that's how you're gonna get them, but it's it's not. Just later, you really impress them when you can beat them in um in uh, Street Fighter at the diner. Wow, <laughs> I, I was always I would have been impressed. Yeah, yeah, I can beat people at video games. Well, it's not as impressive anymore. But in at the certain point in your twenties, you know that whole manic pixie dream girl bullshit. There was that other version, which was the video game player who knew about the books you liked. Yes. <laughs> that was me. Yes. With like a really good mixtape in my pocket. And Yo, I, you know, uh, you know yeah. what, I, you know who she's called? The best friend uh, who helps you uh, talk about the girl you like. Friend zoned. Thank you. Yeah, that was my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's, this is awesome, though, that you have such a huge, like a good substantial background in gaming so what has been the biggest discovery for you about the characters of the world of wreck it ralph or ralph break through the internet well you know what's fun is this time it's on it's on the internet that's the other part of the things that i feel very well suited for coming up on the internet and being there since you know the first you know in the 90s that's when i started writing online <clears throat> having websites and interacting with people so watching watching um the whole world catch on with the internet in the same way has been fun. And it's, it's, it's uh, the same challenge that you had in the first movie of what are these characters like when the game is not on? That's kind of what we're, we're thinking about here on the internet or what, if you could be in the internet, what would, who would you meet? That's been the, that's been a lot of fun. It's a big challenge, but it's been a lot of fun. And then you have some cool characters coming up because, you know, we have yes, or should I pronounce it? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Three S's. Three S's by um, who's being voiced by Taraji. Um, mm-hmm. What what's the most exciting thing about her character? <sighs> this is the part where you guys. I don't know what I'm allowed to say and not allowed to say. When <laughs> just, just roll the dice. You're, you're... <laughs> Listen, they're right behind me. Um, well, well, first of all, she is just a lot of fun. She is a lot of the the spirit of the internet. Her site BuzzTube is you know got a lot of videos and it's um she's fast and she's smart and she's quick and um she um, she owns you know she runs this joint yeah. so it's it's a lot of fun to play with that character can we expect a spinoff with her and terrence howard as <laughs> no, man. i hate ben for that i mean just a cameo i don't know <laughs> five seconds <laughs> five seconds <laughs> Like there are so many Easter eggs in this movie, I, I haven't even seen them all. So who knows? <laughs> I will cry. I, I have to say, now this this is one of the, my favorite parts about movies like this because there are always so many Easter eggs, some blatant, some very very obscure. Are you guys like 
is the team, is the purpose like you're trying to fit as many as possible because it's a competition or it's just like you're just like, <laughs> like, are you trying to drive me nuts? Like, what is it? Like, what what is the inspiration behind? Like, yo, let's put in as many secret things as possible in here. I mean, there are so many people working on the film and there are so many animators. I, head of animation said recently, like each animator in the end has about two minutes of the film, not in sequential order that he or she worked on. So imagine you spend two and a half years on two and a half minutes of a film. You may be like, I'm going to put a cereal box right over here. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine. I would do it. I'm just going to put this cereal box right here. See if anyone notices. That's what I did. But they're also... They're all geniuses, so they're and they're funny and they're quick, and they, you know, everybody. When you have that many minds working on the same thing, that's how you end up. I don't know if it's a competition, but you certainly respect the Easter egg when you see it. You know, that's really cool. No, it was so like when I was at the Disney lot talking to all of you, it's so just wild seeing you know even the animators just drawing on a page and making animation happen in front of my eyes and seeing that like Disney magic coming coming to life. So what has been like one of the most magical moments for you working there? That, that is, well, that is impressive, right? When you have, when you start talking and then everybody starts drawing and they're just, uh, they have, they just have magic coming out yeah. of their fingers. I don't know how to do that in any no. way. <laughs> one time I was trying to draw something to explain it, like, just, you know, just like the little stick figure and someone was like, writers don't draw. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but, I, but again, I'm like, yes, no, you're right. I should not do that. It's insulting. Um, this is a story from when I was working on Moana and just there's a research, there's a lot of research that goes into these films and we, we care very much about trying to be authentic and, and true. And because that's how it can feel authentic and true. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we did was we went to the Griffith park observatory and we went into the observatory. I think they were, they just finished doing some renovations. So nobody had been up there for a few years and this was the new facility and it was just the story team. And we were walking around and uh, they asked, what day would Moana have set sail? And I had been doing some research on the tides and sort of what part, what time in the year of uh, she would have gone. And I gave this date and they went to the computer and then they said, okay, so that's what it looked like the night she took off. <laughs> Stars everywhere. <laughs> Is it so pick her star that she's going to follow? And there you go. And, that, you know, that's not the kind of research you normally get to do as a writer in any way. And that part was just, it was just, it's just beautiful, you know, and I'm sure that's just, obviously that's uh, money gets you access, I'm sure. But also the fact that they would say, okay, well then let's go talk to the people who can tell you definitively the answer to your question. So that when we see that night that Moana sets sail, that is what that's, that is what her night would have looked like. She, she doesn't, she can't be just a cartoon when the world that she's in is that real, even though we made up every little thing you see, you know? Well, yeah, you know, welcome to Pamela Ribbon's <laughs> second episode. Oh, you know what? I should set a timer for my no, answers. No, we're, we're not <laughs> saying really that by on. the length of your of your responses, but by the quality of your responses. Someone is. Someone is. No, Someone no, out there. No, no, the quality no, of the no, responses. No. Why? <laughs> Thanks. <sighs> well, it's, it's exciting, though. It is. Like, I, that's the thing. You, the stuff that you really it's not even about being a writer, the, st- the stuff that you get to see and be a part of meeting people around the world who have seen it and want to talk to you. They don't want to talk to you. It's not about the work that you did. It is about, they want to talk to the film. They want to find a way to talk to Moana, you know, mm-hmm. and that, that part is 
profound talking to people who they these movies become a part of their family fabric sometimes it's the movie they chose to watch together on an important day or the night before a surgery or you know a moment when they weren't sure when they were going to see their mom again and it just becomes um a, a part of their lives in a way that most you know most people don't ever have that kind of experience and so to have done it once is amazing and um to get to get to do it again is is incredible so I'm, I'm grateful for that that's such a special feeling yeah absolutely wow well I, I normally say that you survived the interview segment but you know you absolutely just rocked that right there but we do yeah. have our brap segment our rapid fire questions so oh <laughs> somewhat rapid it's <laughs> Yeah, we might ask you to elaborate on something. Webster's defines a question as no. I'm right. I'm right. Okay, so you're ready. Yeah. All right, and you know, you said that you're not a traditional comic book fan, but you are at Disney. So you know, we. I, I hope you know you're up on a few of these. Oh gosh. Oh All no. Right. Okay. <laughs> See what happens. Okay. All right. Uh, number. They can't one. fire me now. I made the movie. It's over. <laughs> <laughs> Go for, go for number two, number two, number two, number two. Yes, yes. Luke Cage or Black Panther? Luke Cage, do you say Luke Cage or Black Panther? Yes. I'm supposed to pick? Yes. yes. My preference. <laughs> Your preference for, for any reason. Who would win or who do you like the most or what's better to you? Who's better to you? Okay, Black Panther. There right. was There's some weight to that answer. Yeah. Well, okay, I'm going to try to be faster next time. <laughs> no, 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 not no, about no, the no. fast. I, just why did you have to contemplate it? Well, first of all, I was like, is it a character or the world, right? Because to me now, Black Panther is a whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. Right. But I, so I, I, but then I was like, I'm fine with both of those answers. <laughs> 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 that was me. That was me debating. Like it, like it. All right. Yeah. The Wire or Breaking Bad? Breaking Bad. Ooh, all right. Mm-hmm. That one's definitive. That one. That one's definitive. Yep. Magneto or Professor X? I am not a Watchmen thing. That's the Watchmen, right? <laughs> no, oh, no. no. So close. So close. The Watchtower? So it's it does uh, have men in it. Uh, <laughs> Magneto, have you seen any of the X-Men movies? Yes. Okay, so slightly, yes, someone, that's fine. Okay. There's a, there's a blue lady in that one. Ah, okay. I know what you're only talking about. Okay, so yeah. Professor X, the gentleman. Uh-huh, the guy in the wheelchair. Yes, and Magneto. Yes. Nemesis. Mm, okay. Well, let's go with Professor X. <laughs> <laughs> I know she's like, you didn't make that any easier, but um Okay, I'll give you I'll give you I'll give you an easy one. Okay. Super no, easy. why not the hard ones? They're more fun to hear you <laughs> explain to me. Okay. And then I just go with a I oh, he sounds nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Since you asked for it. Okay. All right. Lex Luthor or Doctor Doom? Uh, well, I guess Lex Luthor, I know who that is. You do? Okay. Do you know yeah. who Dr. Doom is? Mm-mm. Oh, yeah. He got no love in the film so far. So that's, that's a, he's also a, a Superman thing. No, he's a Fantastic Four thing. These oh. are more villains. Yeah. Who's the best villain? So basically you haven't missed out on him. Not yet. Okay. No. Yeah. Because he's All been right. disrespected in the film so far. <laughs> I lead this with guys, Pony Boy or Johnny? <laughs> <laughs> Boom. This is what I'm born for, right? Did you say Pony Boy? I go with Pony Boy. Stay golden. Yeah. 
That's the right answer. <laughs> Come on. That book, yeah. that book hurt me too. That was a, yeah. Oof. All right. Well, that's one. What is your favorite Stephen King book? <laughs> uh, wow. Um, I just feel like I haven't read any of them since I was 10. <laughs> I think the last one I read was Gerald's Game. I really, Ooh. I remember really liking the short stories. I liked Carrie. I did like Carrie. That one was had like news clippings and stuff. And also I spent a week trying to make the fan move with my mind. That's a good week. <laughs> yeah, that's what that you can do in the summer that you're nine. <laughs> wow, you read like Gerald's Game. Like, and the short stories were the worst ones. He has this short story about time travel. No, no, teleportation. Uh-huh. It's like maybe 15 pages, and it scarred me for life. I read it at like 12, and I was like, why did I read that? It's oh, Yeah, I remember yeah. the one where he's on the, the, the desert island, and in the end, he's singing the McDonald's jingle because he's eating himself. Oh, God. What? Oh. Okay. Well, well, you know what? That's not so far-fetched from some of the stuff you've written before, because you've written a couple of Rick and Morty comics so I, yeah <laughs> you, you yes. know exactly that type of humor and that that line of thinking so i'm gonna have to ask you rick or morty oh uh hmm summer ah, <laughs> very smart <laughs> the answer is summer but um morty Ooh, why morty I hate them both. Why? Like, I love them and hate because just they're Strombeck. They destroyed the universe. Like well, they, they put it back. What you, what's the problem? No, no, they put back a duplicate universe. The original <laughs> universe is still dead. They turned the original universe into bug eating aliens or something and bounced. Oh god! <laughs> All right, so we're gonna get you through the rest of this. Star okay. Wars or Star Trek? <laughs> Oh God! Don't tell me. Okay, even if it's not a, even not on a personal level, like if you have no at- personal attachment to yeah. it, just what do you like better? Yeah. What sounds better to you? My 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 daughter loves Star Wars with all her heart, even Ooh. though she hasn't seen the films. So I <clears throat> I've learned all about the Star Wars universe from working at Disney and having a five year old who has wanted to be Darth Vader since she was three. Nice. So wow. for her, I say Star Wars. Most impressive. Yeah. <laughs> people will say things like, "How?" But how do you know about the Porgs? And I was like, "Because you people never stop talking about Star Wars. I've learned all the films." That oh, means man. they did their job. Yes. Yeah, I guess so. Do you have a favorite Disney princess? Uh, Vanellope. Oh, easy, easy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have a I have a very soft spot in my heart for Moana, mm. but you know, yeah, I'm still dancing with this one princess. Just a couple more to go, and I don't know if I should ask you this, but I'm gonna okay. ask you this anyway. Okay. What's your favorite Wesley Snipes movie? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, um, can I Google a list? Okay, so I, I, I'll, name, I'll name some stuff. I'll name some stuff he's been in. Um, Passenger Fifty Seven. Um. To Wong Fu, Jungle, Jungle Fever, Fever. Um, Blade, all the Blade movies. Uh, yeah, my mom likes okay. those. Blade. My mom likes those. She likes Blade. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> she likes the Blade. I'm sure that's not how you say it. Blade. The Blade. <laughs> the blade. <laughs> <laughs> she puts the definitive article before a lot of things, like that Kira Sedgwick show. She still says, I missed 
I miss the closer. I miss my closer. <laughs> well, that's like, like that. everybody. That's like our moms. You know, we have the pneumonia, you know? Yes. <laughs> the diabetes takes the out a lot yeah. of the family. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And now the blade. Yeah. The blade. <laughs> They're making another of the blade. Okay. Uh, <laughs> This one might be not doing little... well. Are there there are no points, right? <laughs> oh no, no, no! You're doing just fine. You're doing so well. Cindy Lauper or Madonna? <laughs> oh, oh, I mean, who is it between those? Because time it's, after time, it's Cindy Lauper, yeah. Yeah, time after time, just yeah. that one. That I drove all night. Mm. Yeah. All right. So, who is your first geek crush? Well. You mean that I loved someone who was geeky or I loved them in a very geeky way? Or someone who is a character that you loved? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's probably Alex P. Keaton. Wow. Yeah. Because I really liked like the sweat hogs. I am showing my age. I liked Grover and I liked Vinnie um, <laughs> <Vinnie> Barbarino. <laughs> sweat hogs. And, yeah. I liked the sweat hogs. But then I think really like the first like I'm really into this was like Kevin Bacon <laughs> specifically in uh, Footloose Aww. and then um and then yeah and uh, yeah I was really into Alex P. Keaton not Michael J. Fox oh that's a good one okay because <laughs> Alex was like he was a bit of a you know he's questionable <laughs> Michael J. Fox is great Alex you know yeah I know well you can't yeah. help it yeah, it was yeah. the 80s it, yeah. it was the style at the time I was not a Kirk Cameron kind of kid <laughs> As you shouldn't have been. I just love the, the disgusted <laughs> sound. <laughs> um, I mean, that's a good sort of Kirk now. Like, just I, I never liked Kirk. He was weird. But I think I was always into like the cool. Because then I was like, well, then Twenty One Jump Street, like Johnny oh, Depp and Richard, yes. Richard, even Richard Rico. Okay, yes. I sent a fan letter to Peter DeLuise. Did I win in the geeks? Wait, to who? <laughs> I sent a fan letter. Oh wait, I'm googling this right now. Wait a minute. He's of the Deloises. <laughs> Peter Deloise. Peter Deloise is on Twenty One Jump Street. He played Doug, and he played um, Johnny Depp's character's best friend. Wait, was he Highlander? Highlander. It says uh, Highlander this series. Oh no, guest appearances. I think that's it. Like, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm looking yeah. through the IMDb. Okay. No, you're getting very excited about a wrong, the wrong person. Oh. <laughs> Damn. I had the Beastie Boys pictures on my wall. Like I was into them okay. Okay. in a in a dreamy sort of way. Ad rock and stuff. I wanted to be. Uh, what was it? I, I I might get them wrong. Was it Booker? Was that Richard Greco? Yeah, that's Richard Greco. That was yes. Booker. He had the yes. motorcycle. Yes, he, he had the spinoff. I was mm-hmm. all on. That I watched show. Booker. What? You and me. That was it. It was just you and me. That joint was so quick. We should have gotten on the phone after. <laughs> I taped it. I'll watch it again in the morning because I taped Booker. Oh, God. <laughs> I wasn't. And then I took the plastic tab off the VHS oh. so that no one could tape over the Bookers. Booker, the Bookers. <laughs> Try to add an S to it. Wow. Oh, wow. I'm sorely out of place here. So <laughs> I swear I was just thinking about that recently, too. Like, Booker popped in my head recently. It's sad. I was on that show, Beat the Geeks, because now I'm just confessing to you guys. Oh, please, but that was the, you, had, you had to say something geeky about yes. yourself. And that was my geeky thing that I, I wrote a fan mail to Peter DeLuise. 
I'm- Hayden right back. <laughs> well, you know, this is very good because I'm sure someone's going to lift this question and put it on an episode of Cash Cab or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure of it. Yeah. Okay, so finally, to round this all out, if you can have any one superpower, what would it be? <clears throat> well, um, you know what? It's so funny. I know all the ones I don't want. <laughs> I don't <laughs> want to be invisible. And I don't want to be able to hear people's thoughts. I don't want to know what's going on when I'm not in the room. I don't mm. want it. So a lot of superpowers involve accidentally finding out what is going on <laughs> what happens right. when you're not there like you know whether or not there's spirits in the room i always feel like oh they're really seeing a lot of things of me i would never want the- <laughs> most people to see me doing when i think i'm alone so i i think with any kind of superpower i think i'd want to be able to get somewhere super fast to help someone super speed sounds good very good right then you could go very far away and see someone you care about or be where you need to be it's as close to like cloning myself, right? Nobody wants right. that. But if I can be in two places in one day because I can get there very quickly, right. that seems like a good skill. Okay. So we will, since we're Disney adjacent here, we'll either give you Quicksilver, you'll be Quicksilver, you'll be Nightcrawler. Ooh. Yeah. Quicksilver. Because that was the Kevin Bacon movie that I liked too. Ooh, yes. I don't think <laughs> I He was a bike messenger in San Francisco. Yep. I, I would always see that uh, box cover at yes. the grocery store or at the VHS section, but I never... It's like Jim Cotta. Jim Cotta, I would always <laughs> see and be like, nope, no, no, I'm not that desperate. I'll watch all the American ninjas before I watch Jim Cotta. Yeah. Tatiana's just lost. <laughs> I am. I was like, I'm just going to be quiet. Don't talk about things you don't know about, ma'am. Sit back. Mind your business. Were you a big Lost Boys fan? I liked Lost Boys. I watched Stand By Me more. Ooh. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, because I liked the Goonies. I also liked the Burbs. Ooh, wow. That's uh, Tom Hanks, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, yep. I saw that in theaters. Yeah. And Rick Dukeman. Wow. Yeah. These are, yeah, like these cable movies. Yes. Legend of Billie Jean was my jam. Oh. I didn't, yeah, I didn't see that till way later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, we didn't have cable. Right. And we always did. Well, my I was like, I was a real, real latchkey kid. Both my parents were in hotel management and my mom was a desk clerk. So they just weren't home. They worked these very long hours and late hours. So I, we always had cable because that was the babysitter. All right. Well, you have survived the BRAP segment and you survived <laughs> the For All Nerds interview. Yeah. Yeah. Please Thanks. let the internets know where they can find you at. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at Pamela Ribbon. That's with one B. Um, you can get My Boyfriend is a Bear wherever there are books. I also mm-hmm. have a comic book series called Slam about roller derby. Um, Slam Volume 2 just came out. And um, yeah, if you want more embarrassing stories about me, I have a memoir of my teen years called Notes to Boys and Other Things I Shouldn't Share in Public. <laughs> Where you can see all of the love letters I ever wrote to boys in high school because I kept all the first drafts and then I published them because I have no dignity. Wow. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. This started, this started, you see, at the beginning, you were like, we're going to meet this cool chick. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're like, I can see why you don't believe in imposter syndrome. It's amazing. You... Are employed. 
no. you were literally getting away with something every day. No, I like I say, I'm just so impressed, and I, you know, I know the listeners will be too because everything you've been saying in this has helped me. I know it's trying to help a lot of people out there. So no, don't worry about it. This is amazing. Thanks. Yep. <laughs> If this has been a lot of fun. I am sweating. Does <laughs> 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 that happen at the end of all these two where someone's like, I am sweating with Honestly, it's, it's a combination of laughter and sweating. It's like, you know, you took a Molly. So that's what we... Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know about these things. But... <laughs> now, you know, at least that's what my friends tell me. That's right, yes. Um... <clears throat> <clears throat> And with that, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with more of the show. Hey, this is Kelly Robbins Hicks, executive producer of Random Acts of Flyness. And when I'm not making white people mad as hell, I'm listening to the For All Nerd Show. Welcome back, and thank you to Pamela Ribbon for joining us for that interview. I mean, that lesson, that TED Talk, all that good stuff. Just, wow. You know, well, Ralph breaks the internet in theater soon. It was What's a bear of an interview. Yeah. It, oh, 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 okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, we still, we still, yes. Yes, Pamela Ribbon, author of... Ralph Prince the Internet, as well as one of my favorite books of the year. My boyfriend is a bear, soon to be a major motion picture. Rawr. Rawr. <laughs> I love it. I what love did you it. think about this? I know you didn't get to join the interview. What did you think about the book, Jeff? Yo, I, I liked it. You know, I, I was expecting something completely different. <laughs> Same. So I thought I told- to see heavy... Um, you know, I told Ben this afternoon, I was like, you described it poorly. Right. Like, I, I appreciate the hype, but he described it very poorly. I thought I was going to be reading bear porn. Like, let's just call it what it is. Right. I thought I was going to okay. be reading bear porn. And it yep. wasn't. It was It was a fun, it was very fun. And to yep. show you how fun it is, it's 167 pages or something like that. And I mm-hmm. think I got through it in 30 minutes. Because it's, yep. it's not really like a, like a book book. You know what I mean? Like where it's just straight words. But no, it's, it, it's it's very quick and it's it's a relatable story and I can't believe I'm saying this about a fucking <laughs> about a bear <laughs> dating a woman in the year of our Lord 2018. But I, I, here I am. Here See, we are. That's how I felt. I was like, I like I said, I was I was had to tell her directly. I was like, damn, family, you did that. Yes. Like she did. I'm surprised. Hey, hey, you know, comments I cop. It's a name you can trust. And speaking of other names you can trust, as always, it is time for the Guac segment, the Geekly Asked Questions. The Guac is extra. Where we answer each and every listener question. All you got to do is hit us up on our Twitter, on Instagram, at For All Nerds, or you can hit us, contact at fanbros.com. Probably the last time I'll say that. Maybe. We'll see. Um, yeah, but that's right, folks. It's now. It is time the last time you say that. Shut up. Hey, I wasn't sure, you wow. know. Wow. I mean, I'm pretty the sure transfer is complete. Tracker. The transfer is complete. It's a big site, you guys. It's hey, a big site know, with, a with the year's worth of stuff on it. Transfer so. levels years. are currently optimal. Yeah. Yes, yes. 
But, you know, back to the block is that strategically asked questions. So what do we have up first tonight? Yes. The first yes. one comes from, ooh, spicy. It comes from Indie Idealist, a.k.a. the Silver Server, a.k.a. the Kosher Cuban, and Am I My Brother's Keeper? They write, Dear fan fam, I'm going through some Scott Summers-level family drama at the moment, and I could use some outside perspective. I've recently learned from my father that my mother had two sons after they divorced that she put up for adoption. She had some major drug issues at the time. It was probably the right thing to do. My question is, should my sister and I try to find these guys? If they were never told they were adapted, adopted, this can be opening up a wound for them that they never knew they had and introducing unneeded chaos into their life. However, family is family, and the bond I share with my sister is one of the best things we have going in our otherwise crazy lives. I already went through this once when I hired a private investigator to find my mother when I was in my early 20s, and it wasn't cheap. That's when he found his sister, too. What should they do? Write a script. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, this is wow. wow. This is absolutely script worthy. But yeah. So 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 just to run it back and, and summarize in a very brief moment, Indie Idealist found out that his mother had two sons and put them up for adoption. Um, he's never seen them. He said when he was in his early twenties. I'm not sure how old he is now, but but I'm going to guess it's just it's just years later, at least a decade later. He found out that these people exist. He's trying to know now. He's asking us. For all nerds, fam, should he and his sister look for these long-lost brothers or leave it alone? Well, it's probably a lot cheaper and a lot easier to find people. As Jessica Jones has shown us that <laughs> being a detective these days is Google. So, you know, Facebook and all that stuff. So I wouldn't – it's more the choice of whether or not you want to do it because I don't think you have to put up any money like you did before to find somebody these days. It's not that hard. So it's more – would you and in my opinion i would say yeah I, I i would definitely look for them because like you said you found your sister at a later age in life and now that's one of the best bonds you ever had and that's family you know it's family is family so i would definitely do it so Jeff? one consideration i would say is they mentioned that they don't know they don't know if the sons know if they're whether or not they're adopted so I don't know if they've been adopted into the same family or they were adopted into different families. Yeah. But I do think it's imperative that if you reach out, reach out to the family and see if they know. Because mm. I don't know if you want to be the one to lay the hammer, lay that hammer on them that not only are they adopted, but you're, you're their long lost brother or sister. And I think yeah. there's a protocol for that. There has to be. There, there has to be some type of protocol for that with adoption agencies. I, I do not have the range at all for this, but I'm just thinking there, there should be some type of protocol to follow. I would do that just in the best interest of everyone, because if you're, if you're going to fundamentally change the world around somebody who thought the world was one way, and you're mm -hmm. going to be the one to do that you're going to have to accept the ramifications that come with it, whether they may shun you because you, you rock their world or, right. or, you may, or, or you may have issues with their parents who wanted to break it to them in a certain way. So I would just consider that. Well, no matter what you do, please consider that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you put it the best, Jeff, and I like the way you, you communicated that. I, my whole concern was about the consent part, and, and that's weird. Like, how do you consent to finding your 
long lost blood brother yeah. or sister or whatever. So it's 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 a very sensitive situation. At the end of the day, I I would do a combination of what Jeff and and Ben is saying. Obviously, see what the how that even works. Like when it comes to agencies and things like that. Like what is the general do some research. What's the general consensus about how you can even reach out to people. Sometimes they set it up so that you can't reach out. Like they don't want to mm-hmm. be reached out to. Like yep. they, they legitimately want to keep everything. They want to, whatever their old life was or should have been, they don't want that to be. So um, you might need to do that. But also to Ben's point, you, you may end up expanding your family and, and it may be cathartic. Um it's it's that's that's a great question and it's something very difficult but it all falls down to how you and since you said you and your sister are doing it have really have this and i'm sure you have already but really have this conversation and, and understand the rules around how this works yeah and like i was saying i'm glad you elaborated on that jeff because i would say the same thing especially when you're talking about you know reaching out over facebook or something like that i would just you know see if you can find these people first locate them and then you know see what's going on with their situation before like you do some surveillance i mean <laughs> surveillance. Internet. Internet, internet surveillance when i say yeah. surveillance i'm not saying sit outside home you know they house yeah yeah but do your internet due diligence uh, yep. essentially like see what they're about see what their lives are about and maybe then you have a better understanding of whether you need to keep your distance i know there's some people who who are listening to this who be who be adamantly opposed to that they're like you and to, to what Jeff was trying to say, like, you have no right to necessarily barge into their life. Maybe they're very mm-hmm. happy and they don't want you to come through and flip the script. Some people may take it and think it's the best thing that's ever happened to them, but you never know. So perhaps a little bit of internet surveillance is, is worth it first. Yeah. Great question, though. Thank you for that one. And what do we have up next? All right. The next one comes for... What's up, fan show? This is Petty Souza, a.k.a. the Gay of Mamora here, needing to debrief and have your thoughts as well. I suffered the Emmys like a few other American TV fans yesterday, and while I absolutely absconded, while I was absolutely absconded by the Triple M sweep in comedy, the only thing that wore my nerves more than their incessant look at, look at us, we're diverse was the downright ridiculous notion that Carrie Russell went out after six years of a series called The Americans with not one Emmy. And this is more, there's more stuff about Carrie Russell, but we're gonna fast forward. They're asking, was Carrie robbed? And was, was, was really, was, was shows like, you know, The Americans robbed? And can these award shows stop talking diversity and inclusion and make, and just do it? <laughs> so they, were, they, so they just, definitely had a lot of say that we can't say on the air right now. There's definitely a lot of things that were said right there. But yes, yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I'm stuttering through this because I'm I'm just just trying to get to the gist. But the gist is, uh, can award shows stop talking diversity and inclusion and just make it happen? I.e., actually award the people who are showing diversity and inclusion in their shows and in their stories and actually have them have it. All right. Well, this is something that let me be real clear about this because I don't want to go against what we were, you know, discussing last week on the show when we were talking about the Oscars. But it's one of those things like I'm happy that shows get nominated because winning is, you know, I mean, the whole process is arbitrary as hell. 
But when you're nominated, you know, you're nominated, so you got to give it that. Was Terry Robb probably, was other people good too? Yes, you know, da da da. I, you know, like Henry Winkler won over my man from Atlanta. But I liked Henry Winkler in Barry. He was, you know, it's a really good show and he was funny. So it's one of those things, I wouldn't say they were robbed or anything like that, about talking about diversity and inclusion. They're going to keep talking about diversity and inclusion. You know, that's it's just buzzwords at this point. And so they're going to keep saying them to make themselves feel good and to make the people watching it feel good. And then they're going to keep handing out awards like they do. So Here's well, the thing that I've been – sorry, Jeff, did you want to – Here's the thing I've been thinking about, um, and, and you triggered that when you uh, Ben, when you said that the process is arbitrary. Yep. Is that feeling, is the energy still the same when you turn around, you see people like Regina King winning awards and literally, and, and, and beside herself for winning, and then everyone, including myself, around her, incredibly happy. Do you saying, oh, it's arbitrary, does that, is that diminishing? No, 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 it's not. Because it, but it also is one of those things, like, it's like what we were talking about last week. You know, we want Black Panther to win. I personally want Black Panther to win Best Picture. I'm happy that it's nominated in the Best Picture category because that alone is a feat for me. I'd love for it to win. But there's like 10 movies that it's up against. And all 10 of those movies, I'd say seven of them probably deserve it. So it's one of the, it's a tough thing. Now, at the same time, when Regina King wins, that's a moment because Regina King has done Emmy Award-deserving work throughout her career. So it's like this is validation for all that work that she's done because Regina is one of the greatest we have and really doesn't get appreciated for everything that she's ever done. This is true. So, yeah, no, I, I those moments, you know, and like I wanted certain people to win because I love to see them get up there and accept that award and have that feeling because they've done work that, valid, you know, this validates them. And it means a lot to them. And it means a lot, like we said before, just in terms of money, in terms of getting more work in terms of being recognized so that people be like, oh, you're dope, let me put you on to this. You know, Tyree, that's the dude from Atlanta. That would have changed his life Brian to win Tyree that Henry. Emmy. Yeah, that would, win, I mean, change his life to win that award last night. He is doing a lot of stuff already. Though. He's, he's already, on, though, yeah. He's, he's on popping. Bro, he's on oh, he's multiple popping. shows, Broadway, like he's doing it. And he Movies. can put that in his credits. Emmy-nominated Brian, you know, that can always be for anything he does from now on. He can right. put that up there. So, you know. But I also understand the aspect of winning, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. Jeff, you had a point. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't want them to stop talking about diversity and inclusion because that would mean that they are still focusing on it and wanting to put it. We can't have it both mm -hmm. ways. We can't say that we want diversity and inclusion. And then when they're updating on what they want to do, we get mad because they're talking about it. That's first. Secondly, the, 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 the inclusion... The diversity is in the nominees and the inclusion is actually putting them in the categories. So mm -hmm. so that doesn't mean diversity and inclusion in those categories doesn't mean diversity in winning. Like you, you still yeah. want them to have the equal opportunity to win. But then once they get into the categories, it's an it's I won't say it's arbitrary. It's subjective. It's yeah. based on what everybody says. And, and another yeah. thing is. If you ain't watch all the shows and, and you and you you. Please root for everybody. Root for everybody black. I ain't going to take that away from you. But there are fire shows out there where Hell people yeah. are winning stuff. And it's not like it's a snub. It's just, yo, you in this year for this show, in this role or this director or this whatever, they felt like this person put on a better performance. Now, my my issue is 
when you don't have equal representation of of people of color in general, or just like when 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 um categories are full of white people, you mean to tell me there's the odds tell you that no th these were the best <laughs> all the time. So if it was if 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 that pool was diversified, then the odds for people of color to win would increase. So that's mm -hmm. where the fight really is for me. It's 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 first getting them into the categories and second having people with the open mind to watch it and even if it's esoteric to them where they don't really understand because they're not part of the culture, they can appreciate it. They can go out and learn so that they know the inside jokes and that they can really disseminate it so that they can evaluate what they see versus what they're used to. So that is mm -hmm. there's no diminishing there's no diminishing uh, of what they're actually worth. Like in terms of, like if I don't understand something, that doesn't mean that it's whack. I may, I may connect more with Shoei because I'm white and they're white and I understand all the stuff because that's my culture. But I, I watch something of another culture and I might think it's good, but some stuff may not hit for me. So it's a matter of opening and expanding their mind and then I'm having the willingness to do that so that they can properly evaluate. And that's where the next level is. So if there's, and, and I think the Emmys have been real good with putting, like having a diverse group of, of nominees, at least mm -hmm. from what I remember and from what I see. I, I think all of those awards, except for the Oscars, has been like that more often than not. So I think that I think when we talk about that, we have to really understand what we're talking about. I wouldn't give them that much credit, but they're definitely being a lot better in the more recent years. I'm just saying, like, and, yeah, compared to others, I, oh, I can, yeah. especially the TV stuff, hell yeah. I, I can and, see a lot, lot more of black and brown faces. And it's also the thing of like Henry Winkler, you know, winning for Barry and Henry Winkler being, I'm not sure how old he is at this point and how much work he's put in. That man got to be and like that's, 70. Yeah, and that's another great moment because, you know, ageism is a thing mm -hmm. in Hollywood. And Henry Winkler mm -hmm. killed it on Barry. Like, if y'all not watching Barry, I, I, I just peeped it on, I flew back and forth over the country and it was on the plane, so I watched like most of the series on the ride. And that joint is dope. Like it's a great series, and Henry Winkler is Was it so on good. Hulu, HBO, Amazon? HBO, yeah, Barry. It's a it's a weird show. <laughs> it's about an assassin who becomes who wants to give up the life of being an assassin and become an actor. And yeah, <laughs> like and Henry it. Henry Winkler is his acting teacher, and he kills it in that show. Like he is so funny, it's so charming, and just like he's Henry Winkler, just you know, but as a grown ass man. Hey. So. Yeah, I was really, yeah, I was really happy to see him 72. win that one. He's 72 years old. Yeah, man. Some respect. You look you know? good for 72, high key. Yeah, At least that word. And he's still rocking it. Yo, I'm telling you, watch Barry. Great show. All right. What's up next? Uh, the next one, and, and I love, these are the deepest questions. Yeah, yeah. Like one after episode, another. Right Existential even. Yeah. Thank you, guys. And this is this is the stuff we want. We also want the silly ones, too, but thank you. Okay. Yep. This one comes from Ron Asia. They write, what are you guys' thoughts on Cynthia Erivo playing Harriet Tubman? And what is your thoughts of British people taking these types of movie roles, talking about racism in America? For example, Daniel Kaluuya from Get Out. Ooh. I remember Samuel came down even on Daniel at one point and had a little something to say. I think it was Samuel. I don't want to, you know, put it, but I'm pretty sure he said no, it was Sam Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. About how, you know, they don't know mm -hmm. the racism that we know. 
And so it's tough for them to talk about getting out and these things when they haven't been through the same thing. Right. But but for the record, Sam wasn't downing or, or uh, Daniel saying, oh, well, you got no business here. He was trying to share a point. Mm. Yeah. And, and and I'm I I see many sides to this uh, situation issue. I'm gonna call it issue. On the one hand, I'm I'm kind of of the Sam Jackson camp that, you know, if you're if you're black and British like and you've grown up over there, you know, overseas all your life, you're not gonna understand the black American experience because it is a different experience than is the black British experience, than is the black German experience, than is the black you know, Australian experience. They're all different. And you're going to have, when you're doing a story that's specific or even about real people who have lived in history, I get where people have their questions. At the same time, and, and I mean, you tell me how you guys feel about when it comes to historical figures. At the same time, these are actors. And actors, uh, these actors are playing a role. And part of that is learning about understanding and discovering a story. It's about being able to convey that story in the best manner possible. Some people will say, well, him being black British, how was he able to convey that? I think he conveyed it pretty well to me. He can convey it by acting. He couldn't go like, and, and that's, that's where, do. and that's where I say I, I see, uh, and when I say main sides, really two sides, but I see two aspects of this issue. I see where people are saying, "Oh well, black America, you're not American, so you don't understand." But at the same time, these are actors. So, so here's my here's my perspective. Will Smith wasn't a, a professional boxer. Denzel Washington wasn't a revered. Or, uh, or vilified civil rights activist. Um, Samuel L. Jackson was not a, a, a scientist um, uh, that, that was specializing in sharks. No. Like, you know what that, I'm saying? But, th- but that's my thing. Like, it's, you're playing figures who you might not have a, a relation to or may not be proficient in what they were, but you learn. You train the same way Will trained and and got into the boxing world, the same way Denzel probably studied Malcolm X and and went over with Spike and went with with all of that. That's it's method acting too. Like you 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 can't like at what point is it that you want only black Americans to play roles of of famous black um black Well that's what they're well that's what the argument really comes down to because you could like just like how you refuted well what about Denzel when he plays a a character that doesn't exist you know fine but what their issue is is that when well, I'm going to say they but one side of the issue is that how can someone uh, and maybe not so much Danny Clue let's put David Oyelowo uh, he played him okay so people have argued that well technically he shouldn't he shouldn't be able to do that because for, I don't understand a division when it comes to that. That's stupid. Like, um, that's stupid I don't understand opinion. where that thought process of let's make that division. They're comes tight in. because black Brits are taking roles, quote unquote, from 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 American black actors. That's 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 what I that's how I interpret the, it. That's the, how I interpret the, it. When I've actually asked somebody about this who was on that side of the issue, saying that they didn't feel that black British people should be taking these roles, I asked them, well, why? What's what's your real reason why? They feel it's not so much black British actors, but the ones that they feel down black Americans. The ones oh, that God. that bring that feel like they that they they are above 
black Americans that that they have a, a more cultured, more no. more economically no. stable upbringing. No, and I'm like, no. Um, I I, I think we got to get over that. I think that's like. Okay one of the biggest stereotypes out there it goes back to that other idea that you know africans hate you know black americans or jamaicans or haitians or whatever you ever want to say when these are all our people and we just keep letting white supremacy affect us in ways and it really blows me away and there's there's also like there's all another side to this like uh recently we had the cop Ironheart, you know, thing, and we were pushing the hell out of it because Eve Ewing is a black woman from Chicago getting to write a black woman from Chicago. Right. But should it only be black women from Chicago who write Ironheart from here on out? No, it shouldn't be. But the point of the matter is, in this case, Marvel has had less than I can count on, you know, these 10 fingers right here, black women writing lead books for them in their 70 to 80 year history now approaching 100 years, and they've had less than 10 black women writing a lead book for them. So, yes, we need more black women writing black women characters, but if we're going to start getting down to, oh, this character's from Chicago and this dude is from Texas, so he can never play him, because what does he know about Chicago? You know, is it going to start coming to that? What the hell does John Boyega know about being a space alien in Star Wars? But he played one. It's well, like I said, ben, the, the the argument started not so much for these fictional characters, but the one, but the characters, yeah, but the see, historic characters. The argument's trying to start at one point, and then it's trying to keep going because that's how these arguments grow. We yeah. have to, you have to nip it in the bud and say no. Like, I understand a person born in Britain doesn't know what it's like to be born in America, but they are, like you said, they're actors, and if they're good, they're good, and they can do whatever, and they can bring any role to life. And we don't get on this. I don't, you know, I don't see this uproar when someone like Idris Elba, Elba plays a Nigerian warlord, or when um, Forrest Whitaker played, you know, an African, or you know, isn't Idris Nigerian though? Is he? But yeah, but he's Nigerian, I don't Nigerian, know. He's no, Brit no, he's British, but is he's this, British. He have that man was not ever born in Nigeria. Like no Nigerian warlord in his life. You know, that's not his. Like he, he would. You know, it, he's the furthest thing from that. You know, obviously, but he's an actor. You know, this wasn't even a big oh, uproar no, his, back. His parents were from Sierra Leone and Ghana. There we go. You know, and his, there was no uproar when he was Stringer Bell. You know, and, and one of the best roles ever. Like, he's not from Baltimore. Yeah, I just it hope sounds like that, sour grapes, man. But, but this, it, yeah. this has come up all of a sudden. So I just hope this is not like people oh, picking and choosing because she's a woman. Like, y'all I, I, oh, no, no. that energy before. I've heard this energy for because I heard this energy about Daniel, you know, but I feel like, yeah, like Jeff said, this is sour grapes. It's people hating or I won't even say hating is people really letting division break us apart. And that's what we always talk about on this show and how it's one thing we have to get over. And notice is not turning into thing where we want a white dude playing Black Panther. That's silly. You know, and this goes back to that thing. It should be logical. You know, if a character's race has nothing to do with who they are, if they're, you know, their place of origin, et cetera, so anyone should be able to play that. And if you're going to start saying that British people can't, a British black person can't play a American black person because they don't know about white supremacy, that is ridiculous. Oh, everybody knows about white supremacy because it's yes. global. Yes, but, it's but, super but, but global. They're, they're talking specifically about slavery, though. So. But none of us know about slavery like that. <laughs> we know the effects of it, and every person in the world feels those effects on some level. 
You know, that's what you have to realize. British black people still feel those effects because if they come over here, a car, a cop is pulling them out of the car and calling them, you know what it is. And that being said, thank you for coming to DJ Benami's TED Talk. <laughs> you know, hey, I'm, I'm always going to be on that Kalu- side. Kaluuya man. could play me in a biopic. Fuck it. Word. Play Word, me. You know, yeah, him play or, me. or Yellow Wall, whoever, whoever wants it, yo. Denied Just copy my accent correctly, please. <laughs> <laughs> Lupita can play me in a Bob. I was about to Not say Lupita. <laughs> <laughs> right. That care. being said, if you or your mother or your father, or your sister, or your brother, or your cousins have questions for us, whether they're deep and existential like the questions this week or they're more silly, doesn't even matter. Let us know. We are happy to discuss. You might even give us an argument or two. Might have, you know, an argument round two. Who knows? Point is, if you have whatever question you have for us, hit us up, contact at fanbros.com. Yes, the email will be changing soon, but right now it's mm-hmm. contact at fanbros.com. Or you can hit us up on the interwebs on our socials at For All Nerds on Twitter, on IG, and everywhere else. Mm-hmm. And that means it's time for a very quick tonight Comic Psycho! Yeah, where we talk about all the comics that we cop, that you cop, that everyone cop. Make sure you use that hashtag, comics I copped with two Ps. And speaking of hashtags and the importance of pre-ordering, we've been running the cop iron hard hashtag. It's been going through the roof. We've seen all the reaction. Marvel has definitely seen the reaction at this point. Yeah. The book is doing great. It's going to be selling. It's going to be, I, I can't wait for that day. I can't wait to see that joint hit those sales charts and be high up on those sales charts <laughs> and all those racists out there have to eat it. <laughs> eat it. The only eat way it, it's going to be high on those sales charts if you guys pre-order. Yes. That's the whole point of the hashtag. We did the hashtag to share awareness that the book is coming out and also to help people learn about why pre-ordering is so important and why it matters. So please mm-hmm. Make sure you use that hashtag. You can share with us your pre-order story. Some people have told us that they've pre-ordered right on Twitter itself. I think that's the dopest thing that you can actually, some some comic book shop, you can actually tweet them and they'd be like, oh, what do you want? How many issues? DM us the info. We got you. Some yep. of them are, are, are real savvy that way. So let us know. Let us know who you went with to the store. Let us know what you was doing that day. It doesn't even freaking matter. Just use the hashtag Cop Ironheart. Mm-hmm. And also, this week, uh, well, last week it was announced, Saladin Ahmed, big friend of the show, wrote one of the best books out, Black Bolt. If you haven't read it yet, the trades are out. It's one of my favorites of last year. Is coming back with Miles Morales' Spider-Man. New series. Everyone always talks about Miles. Oh, my God. I got into an argument last week on Twitter. Well, my mans was telling me, oh, you one of them dudes who went and made Peter Parker black. But see, then they made Miles. And so, you know, now we got Miles. Why, why can't we just have our own? And I'm like, why can't we have both? Peter can be Pedro Parker, you know, Spanish Peter Parker. It don't matter. But Miles Morales is getting that new book. It's going to be dope. Saladin, I mean, he's just an incredible writer. Like I mm-hmm. said, that Black Bolt took an, a random-ass inhuman character and told this ill story with it. So I can't wait to see what he does with a big character like miles getting his own book so it's time cop miles hashtag you know it use it i already saw somebody using it just like you said tatiana they hit up their store and we're like boom can i cop miles right away let me get this so you know it's on it is yes 
And, you know, I mean, uh, I can't be done until we just talk about Miles and Jeff, you wildly undersold the Spider-Man game. <laughs> I don't hype. I don't hype stuff, man. I, you really don't, man. You don't. You don't. You don't. I'll give you that. Oh my lord, folks! I I am a hyper, and hype beast, hype beast. I, I'm saying it again. I said it. I said it like after I started playing, and I'm saying it again. I I really think it's the best superhero game made. I wouldn't doubt that. Um, I'll put I've, it down. I've been purposely avoiding it because I know if I start playing, I'm going to be sucked down a black hole, it's and I'm crap. never coming back for a good quarter. So I'm yeah. trying to avoid. It. I used to have video game addiction, so I'm trying to be careful with that. But um, I'm I'm going to beat this, and it, then I'm going to put it down and never look at a game for you know until three, it has four been on pre-order for some time, and so I'm scared to get it. <laughs> it's so I have to good. Get it. <laughs> like I know I'm probably not the biggest Spider-Man fan as Jeff is, but I'm definitely a huge Spider-Man fan. The Todd McFarlane, Peter David run back in the day. Ultimate Spider-Man, Bendis, and um, Badley is one of my favorite runs ever. And this b- game just captures Spider-Man's essence. Like, it's just... Mm. But if you need any more reason to spend your money. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, that's it. Like, that. that's all, you know, I'm... It, yeah. Don't do it if you value your time, though, because, yeah, that, oh, my God. Right. But that being said, valuing time is important when it comes to Comic-Con. New York Comic-Con, we mentioned at the top of the show. One of the major things that's happening is we put our heads together. Ben, I mean, particularly started it. And we said, we got to do something for the the Fall All Nerds fan. Mm -hmm. We got to do something for the cosplayers. Yes. What's that something we're going to do? We are going to do the great day in cosplay. Ah. You know. For those who know about their history out there, there was the great day in Harlem where they took the photograph of all the major jazz players of the era. XXL, I mean, Double XL redid it with hip hop uh, back in the like 2000s. I think Net- somebody else Netflix did it, with, did it recently with yeah, um, Netflix did it. Strong Black Lead. Yeah, with Strong Black Lead. And we're going to do it with the cosplayers of color, the great day in cosplay. We're still determining which day. Or if all the days will be great day in cosplay, we're going to put a little poll out, you know, figure that out. So, you know, make sure you're following us, Twitter, at For All Nerds. If you would like to be involved in this, if you're a cosplayer, if you're just someone who, you know, wants to put all this together, make sure you hit us up, contact at fanbros.com. Yeah. Anything else before we get out of here? Hit up our Patreon. Patreon.com slash For All Nerds. The reason why we're doing all this cool stuff is because we actually have a little bit of money. This is great. Yes. <laughs> Thank you to everyone who's been supporting. The so, rewards are on the way. It's yes. beautiful. Yes. It's yeah. lovely. Yeah. Rewards are on the way. Um, if you are of a certain tier, your T-shirts and stickers are coming very, very soon. Mm-hmm. And also some more special things behind the scenes that you're going to be able to see. Again, Please, well, first, thank you to the people who have already supported us. And going forward, for people to continue to support us, patreon.com slash nerds. Please hit us up. We are an independently funded, run, and managed podcast, YouTube, social media, everything. We do it all on our own. We do it. We do it for you. We do it for the people. We, we ask for your support. You, it's, this is a two-way street. You know, you, you, you contribute, 
And we got awesome gifts. We have awesome tiers. We have exclusive content coming to Patreon also. So the only way you're going to find out is if you subscribe. And just know, you know, we the coffers are building up. So that means we're going to have a lot, a lot more robust things in store. Mm-hmm. And as always, your money is safe with us. <laughs> because we, uh, you know, you know, if there's racks to be had, <laughs> they won't be taken from you. Your racks are safe with For All Nerds Show. Unlike other people. All okay. Right. <laughs> I didn't even get into it yet. Fan pros. Fan.